We think we listen, but very rarely do we listen with real understanding, true empathy. Yet listening of this very special kind is one of the most potent forces for change that I know. Those are the words of the psychologist Carl Rogers. And Rogers is actually the guy who came up with and coined the term active listening way back in the 1950s. And active listening is the term or technique that this episode will be all about. Active listening is about understanding and then communicating verbally and non-verbally that understanding to the other person. It's about staying out of judgment so that you can be positive and remain fully present. The word active is included because it's more than just listening and remaining silent. It's way more involved than that. And I'll be getting into the ingredients that make up this approach shortly. But before I do, I want to talk a bit about what it isn't. Active listening is not the kind of listening that most of us do, which is the type of listening that can be described as giving little attention to what someone is actually saying and instead using our attention to anticipate when we can interrupt and get in there with the, the gift of our advice. You may know this one. It's when you're hoping the person will pause for long enough so that you can jump in there and provide your pearls of wisdom. It ain't that. So it's important to remember it's called active listening and not active advising. The Rogers quote I led with got into what this process is all about, and that is empathy. And that word, empathy, it's become a bit of a buzzword. And I think it's interesting how people use it because you'll hear people say things like, well, you know, I'm just an empathic person. And I think statements like that are inaccurate, but at the very least, they're incomplete. And why I say that is because empathy is about being able to put yourself in another person's shoes. But the thing is, in order to gain entry into that very special place where you can take on another person's perspective, we first have to listen. We do not arrive at the scene, the situation, to the person and their problem with empathy. It's not like, I'm here, I have empathy. No, we first have to listen actively in order to get a better understanding of what someone's going through. And it's only with that understanding that we can more accurately feel what they feel. And not only is empathy a bit of a buzz term, but so is active listening. So to remove the buzz and fuzz around this phrase and break down the parts of this process, I did what I often do, and I created an acronym for active listening. The acronym is OPERA. The O stands for open-ended questions. The P is for presence. E is for emotional labeling. The R is for reflection. And the A is for affirmations. So to start, the O of open-ended questions. An open-ended question is a question that cannot be answered with a yes or no reply or with a limited set of possible answers. These open-ended questions, they allow someone to provide answers in their own words and will usually result in longer responses. Good open-ended questions start with how or what. You may be thinking, well, isn't why also an open-ended question? Yeah, you would be correct, but we usually want to avoid why. Why avoid why? Maybe you can hear it. Why were you there? Why would you say that? Why would you do such a thing? Why questions tend to have a, uh, a pungent odor of judgment. They're usually emotionally charged, which will cause the other person to become defensive. And when someone's in that defensive stance, your why will typically provoke a reactive reply. A why would you? Why did you? Will often be followed by a, uh, just leave me alone, or it's none of your business. 
or maybe a uh, shut up and get off my back, or it could end up with a why reply of, why are we even having this conversation? The good news is that any why question can be turned into a how or what question. For example, why are you late? That one could be turned into a, uh, uh, what were you doing that caused you to be late? Now, those two questions may sound pretty much the same to you, but they're not. And if you give this avoid the why a try, I think you'll be surprised with how often you receive a less defensive, less reactive reply. And instead, hear a more thoughtful, authentic, or accurate response. All right, so that was the O of open-ended questions. Next up, the P of presence. This is all about being mindful and focusing on what's being communicated with your presence. It includes the nonverbal aspects of things like your posture. Are you facing the person? Leaning forward, but also giving the person enough physical distance to feel comfortable. Are you on their level? Making sure to not hover above them. Are you providing feedback via facial expressions, smiling when appropriate, nodding your head, giving good eye contact? I like the 80-20 rule on this. 80% eye contact, 20% not. Because the inverse of 20-80 communicates you're bored out of your gourd or that you're nervous or maybe even terrified to have that conversation. And 100% eye contact, well, that just makes things super awkward. Some other things to be mindful of. The volume of your voice, your tone your cadence. In general, all of these things are done to communicate a curious, compassionate, and calm presence. And remember that calm is contagious, but there's more. Presence also involves removing distractions. And the most common offender when it comes to those distractions, yeah, they're those little handheld supercomputers that are known as our cell phones. We are not present for others when we have our phones out, to the extent that I believe we are not being fully present when our phones are even in view, like visible to the other person. And yes, even if they're silenced on airplane mode or turned off altogether, I like to say, remove the screen so the other can be seen. So when it comes to active listening, your presence will always be needed, but it will actually become the most important part of this practice when the other person is in a state of high emotional arousal, when someone is super angry, highly agitated, dysregulated, when they are experiencing intense emotions, when that's going on, they're not even able to access the parts of the brain where we make sense of or comprehend the actual content of what someone is saying. So especially when emotions are high, don't worry so much about having the right words. Instead, focus more on the presence you provide. Thich Nhat Hanh summed it up when he said, the greatest gift you can give someone is your presence. All right, up next, the letter E of emotional labeling. Emotional labeling is when someone labels or names an emotion. When active listening, emotional labeling refers to the effort of validating the other person's emotion by attempting to name it. Some examples of how this might go would be... Um, it sounds like you're really frustrated, or it seems like you're disappointed about what happened, or I can imagine that you might be really angry right now. When you can help someone explicitly label or name their emotions, what that'll do is immediately turn down the intensity of the cognitive and physiological experience of that emotion. As Daniel Siegel says, name it to tame it. 
when someone labels an emotion, they are able to create distance between themselves and their emotional experience. And within that space, they are able to see the situation, the problem more clearly. And from there, they can choose a response that serves their best interests. This emotional labeling isn't about telling someone what they are feeling or what they should or should not be feeling. In the examples I provided, you may have noticed that there were no shoulds included. And I use phrases like, it sounds like, it seems like, and I imagine you might. Good emotional labeling is delivered in a tentative but curious way. You are not assuming you know for sure what they're feeling. It's done in this way because it never feels good to have someone tell you what you should or should not be feeling or to have someone assume that they know for certain what the emotion is that you must be experiencing. Now, if you're thinking that you're, you're too shy to give this a try, know that when you use this respectful, tentative, but curious approach to emotional labeling, it's often more helpful for the person when you actually get it wrong. For example, you might say, it sounds like you were really frustrated. And maybe that's met with a, frustrated? I wasn't frustrated. I was pissed off. Being wrong with your guess can turn out to be what's best. Because what had to occur for that exchange to happen is that the person had to be listening enough to take in your, your emotional vocab guess, process that label, and realize that ain't the one. Then identify, name, and share the more accurate label for their emotional experience. So that type of miss is actually a swish because all those steps, those processes, require that person to access their prefrontal cortex. And that PFC is the part of our brain that keeps our emotional system in check. It balances us out and allows us to be more objective about the issue at hand. Next up, the R of reflection. Reflection is when you, the active listener, tries to clarify, paraphrase, or restate what you've heard in your own words. As a listener, reflection will allow you to figure out if you're on the same page even. It will also keep you engaged and prevent you from spacing out, taking a, a mental vacation. And reflection will also increase your understanding of the other person. The benefits of reflection for the other person is that they will feel truly heard. It also allows them to to clarify their thoughts and emotions, and it will help the person to see the issue and themselves more objectively. And all of that will empower that person to arrive at their own decision about how to best deal or maybe even overcome their stress or stressor. And that's the good stuff because we know intrinsic motivation trumps extrinsic when it comes to someone making significant and sustainable changes in their life. And finally, the A of affirmations. Affirmations are the statements or observations you share to help the other person remember or recognize their abilities, their character, and personal strengths. You want to uh, sprinkle these affirmations into the active listening process, and they often make for a good way to close the conversation. But to be effective, you have to be genuine with these affirmations. So make sure you believe what you say. Some examples of affirmations could be, it's apparent to me that you're a resilient person. Or I'm blown away by how much courage that must have taken. And my personal favorite, le creme de la creme, when it comes to affirmation. It's from Brene Brown. And I'm just going to put the audio clip in here because it's just that good. 
But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. I don't even know what to say. I'm just so glad you told me. Please, store that one away so you can be sure to bust it out when someone is really struggling and needs your support way more than they need your solutions. So there you have it. The opera of active listening. Give this technique a try if you're not doing something like it already. I am confident in saying that by using opera, you will improve any and all of your relationships. It will strengthen your connection with others, and you'll end up having great conversations with the people in your life. Shoot, you could even have a successful psychotherapy practice if that's something you're interested in. And before I get into my final wrap-up, I have a, a, a disclaimer of sorts about all these positive outcomes I've basically guaranteed. Okay, so opera, active listening, all of this, it only works if it's done and delivered with authenticity. The reason behind this disclaimer came from a conversation I had with a, with a client a while back. So to set the scene, this high school student I worked with, he walked into my office, sat down on the couch. He leaned forward, looked me square in my eyes, and he said, did my mom go to one of your stupid little presentations? To which I said, what? Why? And yes, I, I should have turned that why into a how or what open-ended question, but, but back to the exchange. So after I asked why, he said, well, because my mom came home the other night and things got weird. She became like this, this, this weird, creepy robot lady who was saying things like, uh, how or, or what? is it that I can do to be more about support than I am about solutions? Um, uh, it's, it sounds like the way I am talking is making you very angry. I am hearing that you would like me to leave now. But before I do, I just want to affirm that I appreciate your honesty. Okay. So I am thankful for that client and that conversation because it delivered an important lesson, which is you have to make this opera thing, the practice of active listening. You got to make it your own and be genuine while doing it because nothing is more off-putting, unsettling than when you realize someone is, is doing a thing, a thing that doesn't come off as authentic because it seems like someone is sort of mechanically moving through some framework or step-by-step -step process. So I wanted to, needed to share that. Opera works when you make it your own. But the thing is, anyone can make this authentic. You can make it your own with practice. Know that with some reminders and repetition, every single piece of this framework, it can and will become the natural, sincere, and heartfelt way you show up for, listen to, and support the people in your life.